You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're continuing our study of the book of 2 Peter. We're calling Be Diligent. With this week's message, here's pastor to middle adults, Joe Cook. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you're asking yourself the question, there's got to be more to life than this? There's, what's going to make life just a little bit better? I just, if there was just one, I just need something. Now, here's the fun thing about that. There's lots of voices all around in our environment that would love to help you out with that, aren't there? There's self-help books, there's would-be prophets, there's gurus, there's, there's preachers and there's teachers, and there's, there's all these systems and isms that would love to help you have a better life. And you know what? I've fallen prey to that mentality many times in my life. There have been seasons in my life where I thought the next friend, the next job, the next the next victory, the next award, the next something, next possession would make my life better. I just needed better. Well, I'm going to tell you about one of those times in my life. I was in my mid-30s, and it was one of those times in life where it was just seeming to be about Everything was duty. Everything was responsibility. You get up, you go to this responsibility, you take care of that. Then you go to the next responsibility. And then you come home and you have another responsibility. And there were some things in my world, some circumstances that were uncomfortable and difficult. And I just felt like the world was just crowding in around me. And I, I felt like Braveheart. I want to cry, freedom! You know, I, I need something. I need, I need some release. I need something exciting. I need some life. And it was long about this time, my brother-in-law bought a motorcycle. Some of you have already guessed where we're going here. So I began to look at his motorcycle, and I've been to listen to how much fun he was having going down the road and the, the wind in his face. And, and I started thinking about motorcycles. I had the fever. Whew. I had it bad. I started looking at him when we go to the restaurant. I'd stop out in the parking lot and look at the chrome and look at that, that black iron horse. And I could just picture me on that machine going down the highway. And you know what I heard playing in my ears. Some of you old rockers, you, you know, get your motor running. <laughs> Head out on the highway. I won't sing anymore. I promise. That's the last. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I could hear it. It sounded a lot better in my head, too. I could see myself on that motorcycle of freedom. That's what I needed. That would make my life better. I just knew it. You know, have you ever been hooked? Have you ever taken the bait and been, been roped in? Well, I have on more than one occasion. I would like for you to learn from my mistakes. You see, I had a problem. I didn't have enough money for a motorcycle. We were, <laughs> that's a big problem. We were living paycheck to paycheck. And then on top of that, I had a beautiful wife, devoted wife. Her name is Lynette. She's here this morning. And she was adamantly opposed to me riding a motorcycle, driving a motorcycle, probably because she'd seen me drive other things. It's like, Joe, you can't get them. we can't afford a motorcycle. They're not safe. It just scares me to death. I don't want you to have a motorcycle. I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand. I, I know about the money thing, but listen, 
they get such good gas mileage. And my truck's gas mileage is so bad, it'll pay for itself, dear. Just trust me, right? I had it all worked out. It's going to be great. It's going to solve my mental, the stress that I'm under, and life is just going to be so much better. No, Joe, it's, it's financially, it's not smart. It's just not a good idea. And so I, I, just, I would drive down the road, and I just kept see, I could see myself and how, oh, how cool I would look. And I just said, you know, Lynette just doesn't understand. She just doesn't know how stressful life is, and she just, she just doesn't get it. And, she, you know, I just need, I need, I need that motorcycle. Well, one day on the way home from work, I decided to just stop and look at motorcycles, you know. So I went to the Harley store, and I looked around, and, oh, they're so shiny and and just beautiful, and a salesman came up and talked to me, and guess what? If your credit is good, no money down. <laughs> Whoa, you just sign a piece of paper, and you, you leave with a motorcycle. I'm like, oh, I bought a motorcycle that day. <laughs> I got what I wanted, and then I got home. Now, the good news is Lynette and I celebrated 30 years of marriage this past <laughs> January, Okay, she didn't leave me, but that wasn't the best day in our lives. I took the bait. Here's the short version of the story. I was enticed. I believed a lie that a motorcycle could fix whatever was going on inside of me at that time. And I took the bait and I was hooked and I was entangled in a whole big mess. And it was going to take me a while to get out. And I would like for you not to make that same mistake. And 2000 years ago, a man by the name of Peter, he was an apostle, he wrote a letter to a group of people. We've been going through it on Sunday mornings. We're going to pick back up where we left off. If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to finish this chapter. In this particular chapter, we've been studying false teachers. Now, Peter knew a thing or two about being impetuous and about getting entangled in sin. And so in this letter, there's some things that he wants his people to know because he loves them and he cares about them. The first section of our outline, if you're following along, is he wants them to be aware of the methods of these false teachers. To be aware of the methods of these false teachers. And then the last part of our message this morning, we're going to see that Peter wants us to be aware that as followers of Jesus Christ, we're actually the target. And the danger is for us, and the danger is real if we don't learn, if we don't grow. So let's begin. Look at verse 18. There's a lot in verse 18, so we're going to break it up into three parts. Read verse 18 with me. For speaking loud boast of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. So let's take the first part. They speak loud boast of folly. I looked up that word boast, wanted to see what the Greek word meant and if there was a good definition, and I love the way they explain this word. They explain this word this way, words too big for what one's talking about. Wow, exaggeration. These pants will make you look 30 pounds lighter. This motorcycle will set you free. Have you ever heard exaggerations and have you learned to have you learned to smell the aroma of exaggeration? Can you tell when someone's trying to sell you something? There's a movie that came out in, in 1999 
Most of you probably aren't familiar with it. It was a made-for-TV movie with a great older actor, Sidney Poitier, and the name of the movie was The Simple Life of Noah Dearborn. And in this movie, Sidney Poitier plays, he plays an old farmer on a pristine piece of land that a corporation wants to buy. And they keep sending the slick salesmen in, and they keep trying to offer him these crazy amounts of money, and they just keep coming and coming. And one time when one of them comes in their BMW and they're talking to him, he says this, and this is why I've taken the time to explain the movie to you. He says, all you people come out here dressed like lambs, but you smell like foxes. It's kind of a unique way of saying a wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, the, the thing that I liked about that movie is, is this man, he was a simple man. He wasn't sophisticated, didn't have a higher education, but he could smell a fox. He didn't know exactly what they were up to or what they were going to try, but he could smell the exaggeration. God wants us to do that. Peter wants us to do that. Listen to how Jesus put this in Matthew 10. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep into the midst of wolves, and then he says this, so be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Peter's telling us about the methods, the loud boast, the exaggerated claim, be aware of it, know what's going to happen. Now let's go to the second part of verse 18. Notice what they're going to do. They're going to entice by sensual passions of the flesh. That word entice is the word for bait, fishing bait. It's what a fisherman would use as a Greek word for bait. And you know, when you go fishing, the thing that you put on the hook is you put something on the hook that the fish likes, right? You don't, go, you don't put something on there they don't like. You put something on there that's going to attract them and draw them in. Of course, that's something that they like. It's hiding something. It's hiding something dangerous. It's hiding a hook. And this bait that they're laying out, notice what it appeals to. Their sensual passions of the flesh. This is specifically referring to sexual desires. Have you heard the phrase, sex sells? <laughs> Have you heard that? It does. It sells everything. Sex sells clothes. It sells soap. It sells everything that you can imagine that's in your household. It sells motorcycles. I, I went into the, the motorcycle shop, and there were all these posters. And there were like these big muscled up men. And obviously, if I bought the, you know, bought the motorcycle, I'm going to look tough like that. And you know, I was in my mid-30s, my hair was starting to go, and I thought, this will be re rejuvenating. I'll just feel so masculine, and all these beautiful people buying these beautiful machines, and there were just all these pictures. Sex sells, and it draws us in. Now, part of the story is I didn't look nearly as cool as I thought I was going to. Motorcycle people will get this. I could only afford the smallest Harley, Harley Davidson, which is a Sportster 883. It's a great machine, it's a great motorcycle, but I'm 6'1 and weigh well over 200 pounds. And for you non-motorcycle people, if you need a middle image, have you ever been to the circus and seen the great big clown on the little bitty moped? Okay. You see, I took the bait and I, I took it and I ran with it, and I didn't, I didn't even from the very beginning get what I wanted. I drove down a road one time and saw the, the profile and the reflection in the, in the windows, and I thought, I'm too big for this bike, but now I've got it. Peter wants us to know that when we have a false teacher or someone coming in and they have exaggerated words and they start to meddle with our sensual passions and our flesh and try to draw us out, 
beware, pay attention. You know, sex is a good thing, and that's what the enemy's always going to use. He's going to take something good, and he's going to twist it. Lance has talked about this. The best lie is the one that's almost true. Almost true. So the enemy and these false teachers are going to take something good like sex, and they're going to twist it and distort it and try to draw people in. I love the metaphor for sex, the metaphor of fire. You think about fire. Fire is a good thing. I love fire in my fire pit. I love fire in my fireplace. I don't want fire in the middle of my floor or in the middle of my bed. God designed fire and he designed sex for certain parameters. Sex is for one man and one woman in a lifelong covenant relationship. That's where it's good. The false teachers will always come up and they'll offer you something that's, yeah, it's good, but they're going to take it out of context Motorcycle's good if you can afford it and if your spouse is on board with it. That's their method. Are you aware of it? And did you know who they're coming after? Look at the last part of verse 18. They're coming after those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. Now, you may have a different translation that says they have escaped, and you may wonder, well, what's that about? Why is there a difference in the translation? So let's look at the words of a scholar, and then we'll kind of unpack it a little bit. In verse 18 and 19, Peter describes how the false teachers seduce gullible believers. Do you see that? That was me. The present participle here used here could be translated, and notice, are escaping or are barely escaping. Both translations are acceptable. He continues and says, but it's clear from the other two uses of this verb that the escape is actual, okay? So if the minute I said scholar, you tune me out, let's, let's come up with a more homey uh, way of explaining that. If you're hung up on the word barely, if someone says I'm, that their daughter is barely pregnant, are they pregnant? Yes, they're pregnant. These people have actually escaped. When you say someone's barely pregnant or something like that, the word barely means they're not very far along. They've not matured very far in that process. That's, who, that's who's being targeted. If you're not on the ball, if you're not familiar with the word, you're the target. And the target are people who are believers in Christ. And that's going to be important as we move on and go a little bit, a little bit further. The next thing I want us to do is go to verse 19. Verse 19, it says, they promise, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Now let's talk about this promise of freedom. Who doesn't like freedom? What a great word. I just, I've already mentioned brave heart. I mean, if I said, do you want to be free? Oh, yeah, I want to be free. Who doesn't want to be free? That's what they're promising. But here's the problem. How do they define it? How do you define it? How does, how does the environment, the world around us, how do they define freedom? If you ask the average person, they would say, well, freedom is doing what you want. Is that a good definition of freedom? Is that a definition of freedom that could get us in trouble? Do you think the false teachers would agree with that? Sure, do what you want. Do what you desire. The problem is, and maybe you've learned this, we don't always desire good things, do we? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've put your faith in him, then you've been, as Jesus described it, born again. And when that process happens, you get a new heart with new desires. But there's still this flesh. 
And there's this war. There's good desires and bad desires that go on in us. And I like how John Comer comments about this idea. He says this, we, all have, we have all sorts of desires. Many of them, notice, contradictory. When people tell us to follow your heart, which heart do you follow? Have you heard the phrase, follow your heart? What? Ah, oh, that sounds good. Which, which heart, which desire are you going to follow? He continues, and what, do we, and what do we do when our hearts are fickle and our desires change by the hour and fluctuate with our moods? What are we going to do? You know what happens when you, when you just chase your desires? Look at what he says. They promise them freedom, but they themselves, notice that, are slaves of corruption. The logical outflowing of pursuing freedom by just doing whatever you want, you know what that leads to? It leads to addiction. Because you're just trying to feed your desire. You become a slave to your desires. I need more of this. I need more of that. And if you watch these people, the promises that they make, if their life, if their freedom depends on more of, more of this, more of that, then they're in bondage. And that's not how we want to define freedom. So maybe you're saying, well, how do we define freedom? Well, I've got a suggestion for a suggestion for us. I would define it this way. True freedom comes from living according to the truth. True freedom comes from living according to the truth. Not according to my desires, because my desires are fickle, but living according to the truth. What's my biblical support for that? Let's look at John 8. Jesus said to the Jews who had, notice, believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And notice this, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Living according to the truth, living according to the reality as Jesus defines it, that's freedom. That's the pathway to freedom. And we're going to talk more about the aspect of it being the pathway. They themselves are in bondage, and they're in bondage because they're, they're serving their desires. So the first part of this, this outline has been, he wants us to be aware of their methods. They entice you. They bait you with your sensual desires. They're targeting you, and they promise freedom, but they define it in a way that's unhealthy. So let's move now to the next section. Let's look at verse 20. In this section, he's going to give them a dire warning, present us with a dire warning. Verse 20, he says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, who are we talking about? Those who have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Do you notice how specific he's being? Through the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome the last state has become worse for them than the first. Now, I know you'll find this next statement shocking. Scholars sometimes disagree on passages. Theologians sometimes disagree. If you're carrying a study Bible and you're reading who's he referring to here, who's the they, you may have one study Bible may say they as the false teachers. Another one may say the they are the people that are being duped, been taken in. You may even have a commentary that says it's both. Whichever one it is, and I lean towards understanding it as the people who are trying to be deceived, the context of the book is Peter's worried about the people that he loves, that he's 
He cares for them. But there's some grammatical reasons, too. I want to point a couple of them out to you. First of all, that word knowledge, notice, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's not head knowledge. It's a much bigger word than that. This is a special Greek word, epigenosko. Okay, look at what Dr. Utley says. He says, this term has the connotation of full experiential knowledge. And notice he references chapter 1, verse 2. If you turn a page back over and you look at that reference, what you're going to see, what you're going to see in that verse is this is Peter's blessing upon them, this prayer for them. He says, may my grace, may, my, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge. That's the same word of God and of Jesus our Lord. This is what he longs for them. And here, this group of people, they've had it. They've experienced Christ. These are people, whichever group you want to put them in, they, they, have, they have come to faith in Christ. And what he's saying here is, is scary. He says their last state could be worse than their first beforehand. He doubles down in verse 21. Look at that with me. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Whoa. You know, people read that and they think, wow, either they weren't believers or they've lost their salvation. But that flats contrary to the teaching of Scripture. Jesus said that when you place your faith in Him, you're born again. If you're here today, and this is the first time you're hearing it, you can come to faith in Christ today. 2,000 years ago, God came to earth and He paid the price in the God-man, Jesus Christ, for your sins and my sins. And He offers it through Simple, childlike faith. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can't buy it. You can't steal it. You receive it as a gift. And once you receive it as a gift, Jesus says, no one can take you out of my hands. That's in John 10, 28. No one can take you out of my hands. Your salvation is secure. So when we come to this, we have to ask the question, if it's better for them, better when? Look at what Bob Wilkins says. The text, properly understood, only allows one answer regarding the better when. Better in this life, the false teachers promised their potential dupes liberty. He goes on, they actually delivered bondage and temporal judgment. May we all take heed. Sin pays lousy dividends. Sin pays lousy dividends. When this gospel that I just presented to you is preached, sometimes people will accuse such a person or such an organization as preaching easy believism. You're preaching a gospel that someone can come to faith in Christ and then they can sin and not lose their salvation. There's something insidious about that accusation because it has the assumption that a life of sin is an advantage and that somehow you're, you're cheating grace when you embrace sin and you go down that path as a believer, the person you're cheating is yourself and your community and those around you. You're not getting away with anything. How can it be better? I want you to imagine someone being born in prison. I, I know that doesn't really happen, but being born and raised in prison, that's all they knew. The cold, four hard, hard walls of prison, they eat when they're told to eat, they get up when they're told to get up, and then suddenly they get free. 
And they get to go out and see the blue sky and the green trees, and they get to eat all this wonderful food, and they get to enjoy freedom for a while, but then they mess up and they end up back in prison. How much more bitter will being back in prison be? That's what he's saying. Having tasted real freedom, having tasted grace, to find yourself in bondage to sin, oh, your current state can be miserable. That's his point. He's saying that a believer, a follower of Jesus, can be miserable. Look at what he says in verse 22. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to the mire. You know, we have these unhealthy, unholy desires We still have an appetite for sin, and sometimes we will wander back in. We'll be enticed. We'll be hooked and drawn in, and we can get entangled in that sin. And that's what this picture is of the sow going back to her washing and the dog back to its vomit. Very graphic. Peter is trying to get in their face and saying, look, the danger, it's real. If you buy it and you get hooked... It's going to take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Do you know those people that let me sign the paper and drive off in the motorcycle? They kept sending me a bill every month. They wanted me to keep paying them. And then, you know, you really need a helmet to be safe, so I got a helmet. And then you really, you know, you need some boots. Well, I wanted some cool boots, so I had to get some boots, and they cost money. And then I wanted a jacket, and then it got cold. You need cold weather gear. And then if I'm going to drive it to work, I need bags to carry stuff in. And ching, 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 ching. And every time I bring the receipt home and Lynette sees it, it's just another reminder. Do you see the entanglement? It just kept getting more and more, and I started getting so weary of it. And you know before, and I kept it for a year, by the time I got to the end of that year, I I couldn't stand to look at it. I was ready for it to just, I just wanted to get rid of it. Nothing that it promised paid off. Now, I know a lot of you love your motorcycles. That's great. You probably had the money to buy them. That's good. (laughs) Enjoy them. This isn't about motorcycles. It's about me foolishly being enticed into something in the wrong context, in the wrong way, and I ended up in bondage. And it happens to you, and it happens to all of us, and it happens to us while we're believers in Christ. Peter is warning his family, be aware of their methods and be aware of the danger. The danger is real, and he wants them to know that. So we finish chapter 2. We've gone through and we've looked at these passages. We've seen the warnings about these false teachers. We've seen their methods. We've seen that the danger is real. But I don't want us to just stop there because, let's admit it, it's, it's pretty heavy. I want us to be aware of something else. I want us to leave this morning being aware of the hope. Being aware of the hope. The testimony of Scripture is that failure is not final. Failure is not final. Let's talk a little bit about entanglement. Some of you here this morning are followers of Jesus, and you've been that way. Just like I came to faith when I was eight, you may have been in, in Christ for decades, 
But if you're here this morning, some of you are in bondage. Some of you are entangled in sin. Some of it's of a sensual nature. There's an epidemic in the world today of addiction to pornography. And I wish I could say that the church has been immune from that, but it's not. We have believers all over the globe that are struggling with that addiction. It could be infidelity. It may not be of a sensual nature. It may be you're in bondage to bitterness. There's someone who wrongs you and you hate them. And the more you hold on to that hate, you're, you are entangled in that prison of bitterness. Maybe you're in bondage to materialism. Maybe you've made an idol out of your kids. Maybe you made an idol out of your spouse. Maybe there's a certain object like a motorcycle that you think is going to answer some more spiritual need. There's hope because Jesus doesn't stop saving us at the point of our new birth. So with the time that we have left this morning, I want to talk to you about my Jesus. Okay? Now, what do you mean, Joe? That's weird. My Jesus. I'm using that word, that phrase very specifically not telling you that I have a different Jesus than there is in Scripture. I'm telling you that the Jesus in Scripture is a personal Savior for me. You know, when I get myself into a mess and I've gotten myself into some messes, I need Jesus to be personal for me. I need to know that He's, he's here for me. What got you into bondage? You believed a lie. You took the bait. And you... You got in there, there was something good, and you believed it was going to solve your problem, and you get all tangled up. So what's the pathway out? Well, if a lie got you in, what's the way out? What's the anecdote to a lie? That would be the truth. And notice this, what we read in John 14. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way out is always going to be relational. Remember, I started this morning and I said, have you ever been at that place where you're just like, life's got to get better? And there's all these voices around you that offer them books and offer you systems and isms and lists. And the God of the universe offers you himself. The way out of bondage is going to be relational. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew 11, and I want you to look at verses 28, 29, and 30. A familiar passage. We're going to go through it a little slow. And I'm going to point out some things to you that I want you to see. And I'll tell you that right now I specifically have in mind the person who, when I went through that list, maybe I didn't have your entanglement on there on, on my list, but you're entangled. And there's one thing that all those things have in common. And you know what it is they have in common? They will exhaust you. Managing sin will wear you out. In fact, there's a really good word, weary. I love the word weary. As I prayed about this morning in our message, my prayer was that God would give us a word for the weary. Because I know that some of you are struggling with some things. And so if you're here and you're weary, I want you to look at chapter 11 of Matthew, verse 28. And he says, Come to me. Come to me, all you who labor. And that word labor can be translated weary, tired. 
Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know what you long for when you're weary? You long for rest. And did you hear what he said? He said, come to me. You know what? It's March 13th. If you're in bondage, you need to come to him. And then on March 14th, you know what you need to do? You need to come to him. And then the next day, you come to him. You see, it's a daily thing. It's not a, on a prescription I can write out. I can't give you a list. I can't give you a self-help book. It's a person. And it's someone that you walk with. The people of Israel were set free from, from slavery in Exodus. And they get out there and, they're, and they're, they're away from their slave masters. And you know what? It wasn't before long. You know what they wanted to do? They wanted to go back. And you know why? Well, there were gods there. We could see them. And we knew what was expected of us and knew what was demanded of us. And there was food that we could see. And out here, we can't see this God. And we got to keep listening to him. And we got to trust that every morning when we wake up, there's going to be food on the ground. And it was a relational journey that required faith and trust each step of the way. If you're in bondage and you're weary and you're listening to me, listen to what Jesus says. Come to me and keep coming to him. My Jesus, a personal Jesus. We call him Savior because he saves. Look at the next, next verse, 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He brings in this idea of a yoke. This idea of a yoke is we're, we're side by side. He invites you into his relationship, and he says, we're going to do this together. You on that side, me here, and each step of the way, I'm with you. How do you get out of bondage? The answer is relational. It's come to me. It's come and be yoked with me. Come and be beside me. And that word yoke, if you were a Jewish person the day that Jesus spoke those words, you would have picked up on something. See, yoke was an idiom among the Jewish teachers, the rabbis, their teaching, their law, their rules, whatever was called their yoke. But the problem was, in that day and time, the teaching of the rabbis, the oral tradition, was heavy, a heavy yoke. 613 commandments that nobody could keep, and they were beaten down, they were worried, they were weary. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, and look at that last verse, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. How can he say that? Well, Jesus summarized all of the law in Matthew 22. He said, he can, you can summarize the law in this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor yourself. Those two things, love. Love God, love people. That's his yoke. Do you want to get out of bondage? The answer is relationship. It's going to be a relational journey. And I will tell you something else. The path to freedom is going to involve a community. If you're here this morning and you're in bondage, you need to turn to Jesus. You need to renew that relationship. You need to confess. But you probably also need to reach out to a brother or sister in Christ that's further down the road that has walked this way, a pastor, an elder, a teacher in your ABF, or just someone you know that, that walks with the Lord. And get someone with you on this journey. Are you weary? My Jesus, a personal Savior, 
He wants to enter into the journey out of bondage with you. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.